We are back with Dr. Tom Cowan. Welcome to the BioCharisma podcast again, Dr. Cowan. How are you Thank doing you. today? I'm good. How are you? I'm wonderful. I, I've been swimming in all of your knowledge. I've been catching up with your slew of recent interviews. Your interview last week with Alpha Vedic was probably the best, most concise overview of what you're trying to essentially what you're trying to do in, in, in the current days, would you uh, mind jumping into that and letting us know what exactly is the new biology? I know that was a, a point of uh, context when we were, had our last discussion. Yeah. Well, what I would say is it comes out of, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be as precise and clear with words as possible these days. I mean, I always have, but I know more about words and what they mean, I think, now than I used to, mm -hmm. which is good. So that's why I would call this a hypothesis. So the hypothesis is that in order to build a healthy anything, like a body or a relationship or a world, or a greenhouse, or a, anything, a well, you have to start with principles or let's say facts, which are actually true. Yes. Now that, I, I wouldn't say you can prove that. So for instance, you could try to build a relationship based on, you know, like things that aren't true, like two people could be in a marriage and they don't actually love each other and they could try to make it work. And I think probably in some cases it has kind of worked uh, in many instances, whatever you mean, one means by working. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to do that. I don't want to have a system of medicine whose foundations aren't true. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I think that at some point, what happens is you make mistakes and do things that are counterproductive and lead away from the goal, which is help people get healthier and happier lives. Right. Mm -hmm. If you if it's based on things that are not true. So, you know, with everything, it helps to give an example. And the obvious one is. If one thinks there are viruses and viruses cause disease, which I don't, and it's not that I don't think there are, I think it's actually been demonstrated that there uh, nobody has demonstrated the existence of a virus. Now, if you make a medical practice based on viruses exist and they cause disease, you end up doing things like, like, separating from people right and wearing masks and giving yourself injections to make your uh, immune system so-called be able to fight the virus mm -hmm. and you end up taking antivirals whatever that means and you end up doing a lot of things and my conclusion was those things don't actually work and are actually harmful and lead you to have worse lives less healthy, less happy, less productive, because the foundation isn't true. Mm -hmm. uh, now, so that led us, or me in particular, but our little group to look at, so with medicine, what is true, you know, and there's very little in conventional medicine <laughs> that turns out to be actually true, or modern biology, you know, like, what I've come to realize is that if you go looking for proof that DNA is the blueprint of life, that it codes for all the proteins, that there's uh, synapses in nerves or... Oh, we had a little freeze. To, to actually disprove it. Mm -hmm. And so, and those are the base, you know, like they, they talk about the sodium potassium pump right mm -hmm. uh, now and many drugs like digitalis are meant to work by changing by interfering with or blocking or inhibiting this pump but just to give you an example a guy named gilbert ling 
measured the sodium and potassium inside and outside the cell, right? So that's supposedly regulated by the pump. And then he stripped a cell's membrane off, right? So there's no, that would mean the pump is gone. And it got exactly the same sodium and potassium inside and outside, which means there can't be a sodium potassium pump, at least on that cell. So he did that on a lot of tissues and a lot of different so-called cells and came to the conclusion with among other reasons, which I don't need to get into, that there is no such thing. My point is you can't build a medical system based on that pump, no matter how many Nobel prizes it got, no mm -hmm. matter how many people believe it, no matter how many pharmaceuticals are based on that model, it's simply disproven that there is such a thing. So when you get right down to it, if you're going to uh, teach people how to do medicine or have a clinic or, you know, some sort of encounter where people come to get better health, you everything has to be based on what is real and verifiable and provable. And it turns out there are some things, you know, there are some things you can bank on. Like if a person says, my foot hurts, you know, that's probably true. Mm -hmm. And if they say, look, it's swollen, that's probably true, especially if you can look and you see it yourself. And then you sort of build up a kind of repertoire of what is true in biology and medicine and, you know, and how do you treat people based on that? And that's really the essence of what we're trying to do. So we have a clinic where we treat people and a curriculum where I teach practitioners, you know, how to think like this and how to separate. And it's not like I know what's true and they don't, you know, it's, you know, I've, a lot of these, I've looked into it more than most people for whatever reason. And, you know, we explore and try to come to an understanding, not based on belief, but what we can actually verify. And it's very interesting, the kind of medicine that you end up with when you do that. Right. I bet. In in 2007, I contracted lush maniasis, like um, we called it in Costa Rica, Papa La Moya, and it ate these three holes in my back. And the the the, the remedy back then was to take a essentially a toxic metal, you know, to get shots of a toxic metal to kill it. And I watched it destroy my partner's thyroid. So I decided to get treatment by a machine that they called life resonance. And so they strapped these things on my head. They looked like like a it was like electrodes in a in a band and then they did it on my wrists and then my feet were on pads. And as I understood the technology, they just sent frequencies through my body to find what the causative agent of this flesh eating <laughs> bacteria was or whatever it was parasite and you know the allopathic way of looking at it was it was leishmaniasis i hope hopefully i'm saying that correctly yeah and the woman that was running the machine she's 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 like well everything works on resonance and this particular you know bug let's just call it a bug um it's at this frequency, we can send it a, a disharmonic frequency in cycles and it will take care of it. And by that point, it had gotten into my lungs. So I was kind of desperate. And so we cycled through it for, I was on the machine in, intermittently for four days in a row and it was gone. Like the, everything on my back healed up my lungs. I had no more problems sleeping. And that really turned me on into this frequency medicine and looking at things as a harmonic, because in my life at the time, you know, allopathically, I was dealing with, uh, with a parasite, but also in my life, I was dealing with a very parasitic person. I was dealing with a sociopath and this. Is sociopath that your wife or somebody else? No, 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 no. My wife. She wasn't my wife at the time. She was uh, she was my partner, 
but there was a business arrangement where um, it was a very parasitic business arrangement. Yeah. And I was in the, it was parasitic to the point where my, my health was great. Like I was under a ton of stress from the parasitic consciousness that was going on and everybody that I knew that was part of the, the business agreement, we all got leishmaniasis at the same time. Yeah. So what you're talking about. Were they is, all in Costa Rica? We were all in Costa Rica. We all moved down there at the same time and we were all dealing with the same vector of sociopathy. <laughs> so this is the thing. And at the, and it was crazy because at the time that, that, you know, I went through the protocol and was healed. My partner was never really healed because it really, the the heavy metals hurt her thyroid. I can't speak for the other two women that were involved, but all the at, for the people that I knew, the gentleman that was the vector for this derangement, or I shouldn't call it derangement. Let's just call it a... Um, the best way I could say it was a discordant frequency. And I and in my consciousness, I was allowing it. I had severed the relationship. I had did everything that I could do on my part. And then everything within my system cleared. And and he ended up being, he ended up writing an email to all everybody that was a business partner saying that he felt like he was a parasite. Like literally in his own words. Yeah. So for me, like this whole thing with the new biology, I I, I really believe, not necessarily, it's not just uh, at the level of belief. I know our mind, our energetic pattern, our, our continuity as a soul comes first. And then the material represents that. The, the biological entity sort of, puts that on display is that sort of where your new biology or not I'm, when i say your new biology i'm not saying it's just yours but when you say new biology are you coming from an energetics first perspective and then material so, yeah let, let's unpack this because i think it's a great example to actually see what i'm talking about and uh i think it'll actually be interesting and and yeah. So, so here, here's how I would approach this. So the, the first thing, again, we're, we're one of the principles here is before I, I get into what I think is, you know, wh whether we're manifestations of, of frequencies or whatever, right. Mm -hmm. Before we get into that, we start investigation with, is it true that this is a parasitic infection? Right, because that that's the that's the foundation upon this lies. Now, I would submit to anybody listening that even though we've been told like medicine, biology, and all is very complicated, you know, it's actually f sorting that question out is very simple. Because if you say, "How do you know that something causes something else?" Right. That's what we're talking about. In this case, how do we know that para and I by the way, I don't know that much about leishmaniasis, mm -hmm. but let's just say it's it's some sort of parasite. So how do we know that that parasite causes disease? Right. It's it's actually would be the same. How do you know that frogs catch flies? How do you know that hammers knock in nails into walls? Right? It's the mm -hmm. same with anything you want to say. The process is the, is the same. You go to the ecosystem where the thing lives, like a toolbox. You pull out the hammer so you have nothing but a hammer. Mm -hmm. That's sometimes called isolation or purification. Now we know we have a hammer and a hammer exists. With the frog, we go to the pond. We pull out the frog. We got a pond. I'm sorry, we got a frog. With leishmaniasis, we go to a person who's got those symptoms and we pull out that parasite, right? Mm -hmm. So now we don't take the whole pond water. 
we don't take the whole toolbox and grind it up and see what a hammer is made of because you don't know whether it's the toolbox, the screwdriver or the hammer. Right. You don't grind up pond water and say, well, this toenail came from a frog unless you start with a frog. Mm -hmm. Right? That's simple right. reason and logic. Okay, then you take the hammer, you figure out what it's made of, you bang it against a nail, nail goes in, you do a control, so you do like this with your arm, but you don't have a hammer, nail doesn't go in. Now you know what the hammer is made of and what it does. Mm -hmm. With the frog, if you're a mean person, you dissect the frog, you find out what it's made of, or with a different frog, you see, you watch it, see if it catches flies. Right? Right. That's how we think called human beings or men and women. Now, with leishmaniasis, you can, I believe, take that parasite out. So you have only that parasite. The next thing is you expose that to a healthy person who's got no symptoms, no nothing. Mm -hmm. And you see if they get disease. Now, right. I haven't looked into it with leishmaniasis, but I've looked into it with... Uh, all, a lot of different bacteria and I've looked into it with the malaria parasite mm -hmm. and I can tell you there is no study say with the malaria parasite where they isolated that parasite injected it into healthy people and made them sick mm -hmm. there is not a single study in the published scientific research that demonstrates that that happened the same with bacteria. You can find strep in somebody's throat who's sick, but if you take it out, isolate it, purify it, which you can with bacteria, you can't with viruses because they don't exist. So you can't even do the first step. With bacteria, you can. With parasites, you can. But I've yet to see a study that shows that, that they make somebody sick. Right. Therefore, the you, one has to conclude that the hypothesis that this is a parasitic infection has certainly not been proven to be the case. And you might even say it's been disproven. Right. Okay. Now, it doesn't mean they're not there, right? Because we found them, which is like we found the frog. But um, so what are they doing there? Well, most parasites essentially clean up dead and dying tissue, like bacteria. Mm. Interestingly, particularly, they seem to eat tissue that's been harmed by uh, metals. Like mm. if you get arsenic exposure and your thyroid has been poisoned, it starts to break down. Next thing you know, you see leishmaniasis. I, I don't know if that's the case with leishmaniasis, but you see some sort of infection there. Mm -hmm. That inf that it, parasite is not causing the breakdown. It's just bioremediating the tissue. Right. So my conclusion is this is not an infection. This is the sort of new biology way of thinking. We have to figure out what made these people, uh, you and your friends, breaking down sick that would eventually foster the breeding of a parasite. Right. So that's where we're at. Then I would ask the person, so what happened to you? And then the, different people have different stories. One person says, yeah, I bathed in arsenic three times a week because I thought it was good for me. Then next thing you know, I got this leishmaniasis. Another person says, yeah, my business partner and my friend as a parasite and he was causing untold grief emotionally and psychologically <laughs> and yeah. next thing you know i'm sick and i got this parasite coming out of me mm -hmm. and so i don't want to game the system i don't want to make the conclusion all leishmaniasis is from parasitic business partners <laughs> right hopefully not because that would be something that somebody would come along and say, I don't even have a business partner, right? Right. Uh, I, I, I'm, I, I don't know. I just was bathing in arsenic all the time. Mm -hmm. And my point is, 
I don't want to treat an infection, nor do I want to treat a theory about toxic business partners or arsenic. I want to treat what happened with you. Okay. Now, what happened with you makes uh, furthers the case that the way biology works, the sort of chain of events, is it goes from, for lack of a better word, consciousness or mind mm -hmm. or thinking, or I would even use an electromagnetic field, which has certain resonance harmonics and frequencies. And then it it sort of the frequencies kind of slow down and become physical matter. Mm -hmm. And so when you're looking at what happened to you, you look into the life of the person. And interestingly, what I found in my career is that the people will go to the place that is the most relevant. Right. Like when I ask you what happened to you or you just went into it, you didn't say you were bathing in arsenic because you probably weren't. Uh, you knew somehow that it was related to this, you know, encounter or this experience or this relationship. Right. Mm -hmm. And all I have to do is listen and ask you, so what was that like? And what did he do or what, you know, what was the relationship? And then the people tell you the whole story. Yes. Then what I did was I told the story back. So in other words, Chris, you said that two years ago, this guy, this business partner was doing this and this and this, and he, it felt like he was a parasite. Next thing you know, you got this parasite crawling out of your back. Is that what happened? You say yes. Well, so there we got it. Yeah. <laughs> The, the order operation. None of that is theory. Right. 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 I didn't make any theory about what happened to you and about business partners caused leishmaniasis. Yeah. I didn't do that. I just stayed with the facts as you described them and how that makes sense from a real biology. You get organisms living on decaying tissue. Mm -hmm. That's not that. You, you can see that in any forest in the world, mm -hmm. right? Definitely. It's obvious. Yes. And where it was, just to be even more specific, was where it affected me. I was actually dealing with a broken heart because this business partner was a friend of mine. It was somebody I, yeah. I greatly trusted. And so where did the leishmaniasis occur? It occurred right over my heart chakra where you yeah, right where you receive through the back and that just opened up and it was a cardiopulmonary thing because it supposedly got in my lungs. Well, all that was just symptomatic of having right. a broken heart. Right. And then the beauty of that is instead of killing the parasite and then causing, you know, collateral damage, as they say, you, you deal with the issue which is you know uh, basically as you say frequency based um like pattern mm -hmm. and you change the pattern sometimes the person has to cry or talk or laugh or something they sometimes have to change the relationship right like sever it or yes and then they're better yeah <laughs> and that's it and then thank you very much have a nice life. I'll see you next time. And maybe there isn't a next time. And that's all I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm talking about. That's effective, uh, realistic medicine that's based on not no theories. Right. right? Not, there's no germ theory here. There's no psychodynamic stuff. It's just what happened to you. Right. Right. So one really cool thing that I've had an opportunity to witness and directly experience is that I've moved to a lot of foreign areas. And even whenever I move to an area, I end up being around a bunch of transplants, like people that are somewhat relative to me that aren't originally from that area. And you could like, you could 
plot out exactly what all of these people will say. Uh-oh, you froze. Am I there? Yep, you're there. So point in fact, move here to Missouri, then the the local transplants that I'm befriended here, they all say, oh, watch out. You're going to get the Missouri curse. You know, it's like the Missouri welcome wagon thing. And but wherever I've gone, whether it's Belgium or India or Costa Rica or wherever, everybody says the same thing. And essentially what it is, is when people move to an area, they undergo some sort of uh, physical bout of whatever. And to me, the way I see it now, it's just our baseline frequency getting used to a new a new a new baseline frequency, which is the environment that envelops us. You adapt and in adapting, you end up with symptoms mm -hmm. because you're rearranging your physical body. So you get fevers and rashes and mucus and all that. And then you're now adapted and good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, conventional medicine is the process of preventing you from adapting to your environment. Oh, that's so... <laughs> That's so eloquently put. I mean, God, how would you say that has to be kept non-adaptation? Allopathy is non-adaptation. Yes. It's preventing you from adapting to the reality of your situation. That's their goal. Preventative adap non-adaptation. <laughs> right. That's the point. Oh, dude. And they're good at it. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. I, right? I, so there's like a new frequency in the environment and people adapt and they get, they have a cough or something and, and the, they come along and quote, vaccinate you so you don't get a cough. So mm -hmm. then what? You just end up maladapted to that frequency. And then you're sick for, you know, the next 20 years. Oh, dude, that is so dead. <laughs> in a very odd way. That reminds me of the book. Um, what's it called? Uh, oh, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on this right now. It's um, what he called when you travel, you want to be an irrational flaneur. Essentially, you don't ever want to be a tourist if you travel. If yeah. you travel, you want to adapt to that area as much as you can. It's a uh, vagabonding. You ever read the book Vagabonding? No. I know you. I know you're a vagabond in your younger life. Um, but that's this whole like you know you could always tell like the North Americans when they go travel anywhere because they are always just they're so set in being an American. They don't try and learn yeah. the language. They don't try and do whatever. And so they lock themselves into this non-adaptation cycle. And then, oh, it was Montezuma's revenge that made my my stomach sick. Or it was this that made me sick. It's like, no, nope, yeah. you're not actually relaxing into the new environment. Right. It's a combination of non-adaptation and victim consciousness. Yes. And they go together because if you don't adapt then you don't realize that your symptoms, which are actually the way your body adapts. Yes. You blame it on something that's making you sick and you're a victim. Mm -hmm. It's my genes or that's the virus or the parasite or something. Mm -hmm. When it's not any of that, it, it is, you know, and even this malaria often would go happen with people who would go from a sort of northern temperate climate into a hot, muggy, sort of tropical, and they would be too moist. Yes. And so their body would wring out some water, and mm -hmm. it wrings out water by sweating and fever, mm -hmm. and then you're better. And so they would keep them from doing that, and then they'd be sick for over and over again. Yeah. And again, the beauty of thinking that is... Uh, there is a like a cell salt that you can take that helps your body dry out, helps your blood dry out. And so then you can help that to adapt to that 
and you don't have to go through the sickness part. What's that called? I'm not sure. I think it's Nat Sulf or something. Nat Sulf. I'm not a cell salt expert, but I that Alpha Vedic out Bear Lando talked about that as a as a way of understanding malaria, and he actually said the the cell salt. Now, I never got malaria. I know tons of my friends that have had to travel to South America. They had to take the malaria vaccine. Yeah. And it no, there was no vaccine. There was the pills. Oh, was it yellow fever vaccine yeah. that they had to take? Yeah. Whatever that vaccine is, it wrecked a lot of my friends. Like it, like yeah. it was not a good thing. Yeah. Um, What's your opinion on dengue? We're not going to get into all the nitty gritties of all these crazy tropical diseases, but dengue was something that I watched affect at least two thirds of my friends in the tropics. You know, I, I haven't looked into that, but I, di I did look into Ebola fair amount. Uh -huh. uh, so first of all, I and I believe dengue, uh, they say it's some sort of virus. I'm not sure about that, but I think so. Um, so like with Ebola, which I did look into, there is no evidence of any virus, right? That right. just made. So, so again, you go back to what's the reality. The reality is these are uh, the symptoms are hemorrhaging. That's what the main symptom is. I'm not sure what dengue is. Um, so, then you say, okay, there is no evidence that it's a viral infection causing this hemorrhaging. So you start looking for, are there factors in the environment of the people who are getting it that might make them hemorrhage? So when you look at that, you there's always uh, three or four different areas. First of all, are there any toxic chemicals being used? And these always, ha they, they all hap happen during places where there's mining or extensive foresting or deforestation. And many of the chemicals used in mining are known to cause hemorrhaging. So that's one. The second one is they widely distribute what are called beta-lactam antibiotics. Uh, Zithromax, I think, is one. Um, there's a bunch of other ones. And all of them are freely used by the people, especially for things like diarrhea, and they all cause hemorrhaging. Hmm. So that's another one. Malnutrition causes hemorrhaging, especially if you take an antibiotic. And vaccines cause hemorrhaging in certain situations. So you have a number of factors. All of them are sort of pharmaceutical or toxins or starvation combined with social disruption. And when you see that combination, some of the people, particularly the most vulnerable like children, will end up with hemorrhagic disease and they blame it on the virus. Mm -hmm. And it's that, and I don't know what the story is with dengue, but it's gotta be the same thing. If you go looking into it, there's there's always some sort of social disruption, vaccination, uh, you know, toxic exposure, usually agricultural or mining or both, uh, foresting, <clears throat> and malnutrition. If same I would, combination. Yeah, if I was to guess in the area that I was in that was getting hit by dengue, it would it would be glyphosate exposure. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know there were in the in the Zika one in Brazil there was a certain pesticide I don't remember what the name of it was, which even was known to cause microcephaly. Mm. So there's always another story here, is and it's always some you know drug company, product, social disruption, etc., uh, malnutrition, using antibiotics, vaccines. Mining chemicals, agricultural chemicals, glyphosate, aerial spraying, you know, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And that's the tragedy of, of this and why, for instance, I'm so, uh, what's the word, uh, not appreciative of the whole lab leak story. Oh, God. Because 
They like Ebola. Well, it's Ebola was a lab created virus, same as the same people were involved as created SARS-CoV-2, the whole thing. So blame it on Fauci and a bunch of his cronies. What that does is it exonerates the real people who have perpetrated this this disaster, mm -hmm. which is the pharmaceutical companies, the agricultural chemicals, the U.S. government and their policies towards these you know countries and these people, and the whole sort of colonialism, you know, and mining other people's country for minerals. That's the problem. Yes. Not a lab created virus. Right. And all you're doing is like this is the this is the these perpet the real perpetrators. That's their it's like their wet dream to have all these freedom people talking about lab created viruses. Definitely. They get off the hook. Yeah. Yeah, the, the liability tragedy. shield is amazing. I, I think yeah. that the oldest business model in the world is perpetrating a victim narrative. You're not responsible for how you feel and what's going on for you. The children are 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 the victims in this, you know, the African yeah. children. Like they didn't do anything. Uh but their families, their government, their society did not protect them the way children are meant to be protected. They often have deals with these companies and get kickbacks. And, you know, that's that's the problem, yes. not lab created viruses, which can't even be shown to exist. Right. And that's why it's so important to clear this up. Uh, not that, you know. Com these kind of companies aren't making toxins they are but these are not lab created viruses mm -hmm. no and you're like you're essentially at the forefront with dr andrew kaufman too with that the whole notion that viruses as they've been explained in the past as these non-living organisms that can still get from person to person you know via all different types of vectors that that that's actually just an artifact of the process of you know tearing apart biology it's not an yeah. actual real thing yeah there's no reality there and mm -hmm. again if you don't know that go look for a study anybody's listening showing that they have this virus in a pure form exposed an animal or person to it in the normal way and cause sickness. Mm -hmm. And you will not find that study, mm -hmm. in which case you have no reason to claim it causes anything. Right, right. Now there's something that's going on on a spiritual level with being punctured. Um, a good friend of mine is, she's a family friend is Dr. Jennifer Daniels. And she's like, at no at no point should you ever puncture your epidermis. <laughs> and when she first told me that, you know, years ago, that really hit me because I was like, geez, there's all these, I guess you would say social engineered norms out there with tattoos and earrings and nose rings and, and being, you know, jabbed and all the rest of it. That's all about breaking the epidermis. It's all about some way or some fashion doing it. And I noticed that my clients that have the most traumatized use, they are usually the ones that get tatted up the most. They're the ones that somehow, some way have this like micro, well, it's not even micro, have this macro puncturing that goes on and the scarification that they that that they adorn their body with as art is is almost a one to one ratio to how much they're trying to like move through the 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 trauma that they've like kind of buried real deep in themselves yeah so, where where are you at with puncturing as a whole yeah i you know i I don't know Jennifer Daniels personally, but I've certainly know about her stuff with turpentine, which I think is great. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, I agree with her. 
I don't, I don't see, you know, I mean, in a normal situation, I don't think you should get punctured. Yeah. And even in a not normal situation, like I, I but. Oh, Tom, you, Tom, could you repeat yourself right where you're talking about Dr. Daniels? Yeah, I, I agree with the puncture thing. I think everybody should think twice and then 10 more times before they puncture themselves for any reason. Like, you know, I, I'm not an advocate anymore of, of blood tests, uh, routine, or any kind of skin puncture. I mean, I guess you could, I would think maybe acupuncture is different, but that's sort of not actually puncturing in the entire epidermis. Uh, but even that, like, I don't particularly like to do that myself. But I think the idea that you're not meant to puncture your skin. You, you, you phased out again on not puncturing the skin. Like that was the last thing it's I a heard. Good idea. Don't puncture your skin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It, it, there's some like life is actually pretty pretty simple that doesn't mean that it's not uh that it doesn't take like a whole lifetime to actually come into the full awareness of your surroundings but the principles yeah. of health seem to be very simple and they actually are they essentially resonate be in resonance with your environment and if your environment is somehow some way a little bit ill, do whatever you can to repair your environment in, in with your best practices. And then everything will become a loop current for you in your life. You know, it's an interesting you say that because I can tell you the number of people who said some variation of the following to me. They said, you know, Tom, I live in a very toxic house you know there's stuff all over and wireless and wi-fi and you know my my downstairs neighbor sprays glyphosate what do you think i should do to live a healthy life <laughs> now you have to move exactly, exactly. Or, yeah, i mean you could try to change that whole thing but Either that, if you can't, or it isn't possible. Uh, you know, I'm not in the business of giving people, you know, glutathione so that they can, you know, suck on glyphosate all day. Right. Like that to me is a, is a ridiculous strategy. Yeah. And there is no other answer. It's And, you know, often people will even say, well, let's say you can't change your environment. So... So I think, so you're asking me, Tom, I can't change the situation. How do I change the situation? Doesn't work like that. I say, if you tell me that you can't change, then you're right. You can't change it. You know, live with it. I don't know. I mean, what's not my problem, but you have to deal with it. Um, but yeah, it's you're you're right. You, you, you see what you can do to make your situation as healthy and happy for you and whoever else is with you as you can. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always trying to teach my clients the law of correspondence. Like just use your body. Imagine that your body is a buoy within the sea of consciousness and wherever yeah. the water line is on that buoy, that's letting you know exactly what's happening around you. There is no island unto oneself. Like you cannot separate yeah. yourself from your environment. And yeah. so once you know that, empower yourself to actually create the environment that induces health. Yeah. I mean, it's it's true that it's tricky now because there's so many things which we seemingly have not much control over, which are happening in our world, you know, the spraying stuff and all the rest of it. So it's tricky, but I, I also think that the claims of how poisonous and powerful they are, uh, are overblown. Yes. They're, they exaggerate those. So we have this stuff and we can genetically modify you and, no, they can't. It's 
No, in the art of war, you know, half of the battle is just convincing your opponent that you're superior to them. Yeah, <laughs> right. That, that's a great point. They they do lots of things, and again, the the a lot of the so-called freedom people feed into these guys are so powerful they're they're going to genetically modify you and you're never going to be able to recover and there's this horrible virus that they've engineered they are more powerful than they are they are not no so i have a theory i don't know if i brought this up to you last time we spoke but my theory was that the corona whatever that was i felt it I had an incredible two days of like tripping balls on, on fever. Like I had 104 fever and I felt all the samskaras, like all the things on my heart chakra just being ripped off. And I've been softer since I experienced whatever that was. I experienced something during the time, you know, quote unquote, during the framework of Corona that had all the symptoms of that. Right. Um, but to me, the way I experienced it energetically was like, I've experienced other very strong fevers. Like I've had strong fevers in the past where I trip balls, I would get like, you know, spiritual downloads and all this stuff. And it was like a rebooting of my system. And during that time, the only reason why I even framed it that way was because the zeitgeist at the moment was all about Corona, 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 Corona. Right. And so I'm and then I got it again like a year later, but I was under the same circumstances. So it wasn't like what what do they call it? Like a long, long-term COVID or all the BS that they came up with. But I recognized within my own self that I hadn't fully cleared what the first, I guess you would say, uh stress state was when I had originally contracted or when i originally felt this wave come through and then the second time i got it that's when it fully melted but all yeah. those tidbits that were within within my being had to be purged like they had to go and so the second time it moved through i was like you know what i think the majority of these big sicknesses that move through are more of like cosmic energy waves, not cosmic in the sense that I believe like there's like, a, you know, billions and billions of stars, but cosmic as in metaphysical energy moves through the physical realm. Yeah. Each body needs to transduce that in its own way because we're all our own little constellation. Yeah. What, what What's your opinion now that you have some perspective over that time? What do you think that was? Yeah, I think you're right. And there was uh, obviously whether it's there was certain, you know, as you say, cosmic in that sense, um, changes or configurations or frequency patterns. Uh, they probably chose a certain time and a certain like uh, pattern that would facilitate that uh, experience with people. Mm -hmm. Uh, whatever that is, I don't really know. And a lot of people like yourself were sensitive to that and essentially adapted to that experience. And you adapt through sickness. So you have an experience where you actually rearrange your physical body so that you become like a new person, at least to a certain extent, and then you're better. And yeah. I think that's exactly what you're describing. And, you know, what what that was, I don't really know that they were that led to the choice of that time to to do this, to run this out. Mm -hmm. But my guess is if somebody really understood the electromagnetic world that we live in, they could sort of sort some of that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had for a moment the thought of Arthur Thurstenberg's work, you know, the invisible rainbow work, because. I guess it was eight months prior when they were testing the 5G network in Fort Lauderdale. I just happened to be there and it felt like I was having a heart attack. Yeah. And my, and my wife was, she was pregnant and I didn't want to say anything. 
And then the next day at the same exact time, it happened again at, for the exact same duration. And I was like, oh, this is mechanical. Now, that wasn't what I experienced with Corona, but it kind of made me think of that, that there was like some sort of electromagnetic. Yeah. Some, something was inducing the, the that type of state within my body. Right. And and I wouldn't be surprised if they if you know the the powers that be have certain weapons or frequencies or you know bioresonance devices that actually can make certain changes in how people experience the world mm -hmm. i don't know that but i wouldn't you know i wouldn't rule it out right well, so one thing I'm not clear on with you, with with the new biology, what exactly are you guys offering? Is there a website? So there's basically two things. One, there's a clinic where anybody who has uh, any kind of health issue, they sign up for the clinic and that's where they, you know, there's a doctor who they see and these aren't patients. We just, you know, talk over your story and you know, Adam has been trained in all the new biology and we mentored together for a long time. And, you know, you come out with a plan on what you can do. And that's also where your friend Pat and our, you know, our now help guide them and they have access to movement, either group sessions or individual sessions. So that's the clinic part. The curriculum is basically guided learning it's set up in modules you know we talk about what are what is the new biology and what is virus you know virology and heart and cancer and genetics and dna and autoimmune so-called disease and all this stuff and there you're in a group of 20 you know it's like a cohort of 20 health practitioners and then you you know, you read stuff and watch stuff. And then we have group meetings and talk to the practitioner. And cool. we hope to form like a group of people that we can say, we can refer people to and say, you know, this, this is somebody you could talk to about your problem. Mm -hmm. Your way of looking at it in the way, the way you were going through, like my little scenario that I gave you it reminded me a lot of the the higher end homeopathic people that I know, where they know exactly yeah. how not to lead you with questioning, but know how to get around the ego's uh, squid ink of like, you yeah. know, diverting away from the real problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's, it's similar. I mean, I didn't make this stuff up, really. I adapted what I learned from homeopathy and a bunch of places into really a career in medicine, just trying to figure out what worked. That's I got a lot of the questioning strategy from Carl Rogers, who was the psychiatrist founder of humanistic psychiatry, who had a, a really great way of accessing what he called the right brain or the intuitive understanding of the person. So yeah, I've been stealing things from people for 40 years. <laughs> it's called hybridizing and upcycling. Yeah, right. Because right. <laughs> right. I attribute it to them. I'm not stealing and they don't know. I mean, some of them are dead, but uh, I attribute my my thefts. Is his, is his uh, catalog of work, is that similar? Do you know of the psychiatrist Nor Norberto Kepe from Brazil? No. Oh, man. I know you're like swamped with work, but I would love for you to listen to a couple of interviews I've done. Essentially, there was a psychiatrist in the 60s down in Brazil that ended up like curing 9,000 people under his purview because he disinverted psychology. He was saying psychology was the study of sick people. He kind of went like the Reichian I won't yeah. say he went the Reikian way because I can't say that specifically, but he's essentially like if you want to know health, if you want to know health, study healthy people. Yeah. He did this from a mental perspective and was able to in I forget what hospital it was in Brazil, but all the people that he trained, they were they looked at psychopathy. 
and what is psychopathy and sociopathy. And they essentially found that the psychopath or the sociopath, their entire framework for reality is inverted. And you and I both know misery loves company. <laughs> so the majority of the expensive media that's out there is, is being programmed by people that don't have our best interests, let's say. They're, yeah. they're sort of sociopathic and they love company. They, <laughs> they, want, they want to normalize their sociopathy or their dis-ease. They want to normalize it so that they're not such the outlier that they once were. And so he figured out this entire way of disinverting the, the process by which you dissect somebody's mind. And as of late, uh, there's a whole company that has essentially taken his process in psychology and applied it to resonant motors. <laughs> and that's called wow. Kevin Motor. Because what they're finding in all fields of research, whether it's dealing with the human body, the human mind, whether it's dealing with machines or electrical circuits, once you get into a resonant pattern, um, that's where extra energy comes into the system. And then within resonance, you know, that's those flow state moments. Yeah. In flow state moments, there's no ego there's pure awareness. You're essentially a conduit to the creator. And then you essentially are perfect. <laughs> and you're perfect because whatever contradictions are held in your in your being aren't there. They're actually the resonant pattern just completely pulls the veil back. And now you can present in the highest from your highest potential. And uh, so if you have some time, I'll send those those interviews to you because uh, we're working on resonant circuits for orgone accumulators. I'm building dome homes that I have a project on tap in Europe where we're trying to make a resonant structure to house both human and plants where we measure the heart rate variability of the humans in interaction with the certain plants that are within the within the structure. Yeah. And see like whether or not toning or singing or silence, like what what actually gets the human and the plant to resonate with each other. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 really cool. I'm I'm just over the moon with this study of resonance. Yeah, that's I mean, this is the future of science and medicine. Yes. It's it's like they say back to the future because this was the what medicine and biology was and then we forgot or were essentially forbidden or told to forget right and now it's somehow being real re, re, really diseases and we'd be a lot better off studying what you know health and vitality and you know is than treating sickness because they're not really sickness anyways no no, it's not. And yeah, actually, yeah, send me that stuff because I'd I'd love to take a look at that. Great, and I'm getting I'm getting the whole catalog of Norberto Kepe's psychiatry books. I, I'm it, they've now been translated to English, so I'm looking forward to to reading reading his work directly, not you know not listening to other people's interpretations. Yeah, right. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Cowan, as usual, I, I love listening to you. I list, listen to your daily, or not your daily, your weekly cast <laughs> on BitChute. And, um, you know, I forward everything that I ever see of yours online. I put it on our Telegram chat. Where would you like people to consume your your media? Yeah, I, I think if they go to Dr. Tom Cowan, then .com, they'll find what they need to find. Great. Oh, and by the way, one thing I'm going to send you to is, uh, do you know the natural action water people? Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll send you the, the interview I had with Jonathan Butts. And uh, yeah. there, there's a, there's, I'm not going to go to the extent of your, your morning water ritual, but I have, I have a, a ritual that I think you'd appreciate. Yeah. All right. Alrighty, my friend. Talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you.
I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Tom Cowan. The whole way that we should be going now is we give authority to our creator and we give authority to our direct experience through the creator. We're not here to look at any other man or woman as I guess you would say the end all be all. We're not we're not here to actually give them that charge. That's been the old model. That was the model that uh, our parents had to deal with and their parents had to deal with. But understand that through your direct knowingness and your direct trust and trust and gratitude go hand in hand. You can have all the information that you need flowing to you to solve a problem. Whether that be a physical problem, a mental problem, or a spiritual problem. Um, in the Bible it says, if you ask, it shall be given. And there's, there's this parable, I don't know the exact words, when Jesus is speaking, where he's like, you know, don't you think God cares for you, you know, just as much as the birds in the field. And they don't worry, they don't toil. <laughs> and it's so funny, humans, our free will, a lot of that free will energy has been given to worry. And remember, worry is a choice. And you, if you're sitting there worrying, if you're sitting there giving energy to these lower demonic aspects of being um you're you're dissipating and that is just a learned behavior that's all it is so i hope with dr tom cowan's podcast you can understand that the world isn't as as uh, i guess you would say attacky <laughs> as truthers or the mainstream would want you to believe um, so much of what's happening is when we go out of balance, when we go physically out of balance, that is perfect. That is telling you that there's a signal from your environment that is that is uh, playing with your with your greater nature. And if you deny it, then that will compound itself. And so. We'll, <laughs> We shouldn't ever be in denial. And I know that seems to be alert behavior also. So take Dr. Thomas Cowan's uh, course or talk to one of his new biologists. Take Dr. Moshe Daniel's course and learn how to self-diagnose, how to actually move through the progression of misbelief because the misbelief uh, is has been playing havoc on you. And also like the other podcasts that we did with Dr. Jennifer Daniels or uh, Sophia Smallstorm, there's all these things that are showing us that if the body is out of tune, we are not an island out of, uh, unto ourselves. We are actually modulating the discordant frequencies of our environment. And it's up to us to rectify that. That's our free will. So I really appreciate you coming um, over the next couple of weeks. We're going to have Dr. Stephanie sent up. It seems like all I do is interview doctors, right? <laughs> it's nuts. Um, she's been a star mind in my consciousness for 10 years. And uh, I just loved talking with her. And now she's a friend. So <laughs> that's going to happen again. And uh, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Mark Steves of my Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast and the one-on-one -on -one podcast and the Emily Moyer podcast. Uh, we are definitely crushing all the different podcast mediums. This is good stuff. Our numbers are growing. The chat is growing. Please uh, go to t.me biocharisma podcast. And um, we have a great chat. It's like 
it's so much fun. We have close to 400 members now and uh, the information that's being shared is awesome. We got boots on the ground in lots of different places, you know, sharing pictures and photos of different weather anomalies. It's just a lot of fun. So I really appreciate you guys supporting the, the pod. Um, you can also donate to the pod. There's a buy me a coffee link somewhere around here. Also, you can just donate uh, directly through TopherHQ.com. And on Spotify and Podbean, if you like it, please give a, a rating. Give a, you know, however the ratings work. I don't even know. <laughs> uh, if, if you think this is a good podcast, go ahead and uh, give a thumbs up and all that good stuff. That helps me with getting different guests. And uh, yeah, we're getting set for the um, the Ozark uh the the Baritaria Times Festival. So I've been making biochar every day and I've got my kiln dialed. So I'm I'm happy guy. I'm always covered in carbon. <laughs> it's not blackface. Hey guys, it's not it's not blackface just because I'm in the Ozarks. It's just I'm making lots of biochar. So um good stuff so i hope you've been enjoying everything and i look forward to uh, hearing from you guys in the chat and like i said once we're able to find some decent um child care my wife and i will live stream in the evenings so um i'm just playing that by ear because uh you know god will provide when, it, when it's supposed to so Hope you guys enjoyed this and I look forward to seeing you next week. to know